0: The Real Estate Sessions is brought to you by Relola. The Relola app helps agents leverage their local expertise. Create a beautiful interactive map of everything you love about your community, from businesses to listings to local features. Share it on Facebook and your website. And it's free for all realtors in 2018. Learn more at Relola.com.
1: There's nothing wrong with leads. I just go back to the data, it's very clear. Uh, that less than 20% of the of the industry transactions start as leads. And so this is how the industry works. And I, I just challenge realtors to look at their business last year and how many of those came through leads versus their network. Um, and the problem has been that there really hasn't been technology that understands how to help you with the relationship side, right? It's just kind of more of the stay in touch marketing, which, as we just discussed, doesn't really move the needle.
0: Welcome to the Real Estate Sessions, where industry leaders share their stories and offer tips and advice to real estate professionals. Now your host, Bill Risser of Fidelity National Title in Tampa, Florida. Hello again, everybody. Welcome back to the Real Estate Sessions podcast, and thank you for joining us for episode 117. Uh, Thank you for listening, especially for sharing the podcast with a friend. It's how we continue to grow. And if you have a minute, feel free to head on over to iTunes, leave a review or a rating or both. Uh, it really helps us grow as well. If you follow the podcast, you know I love talking to entrepreneurs and creators and you know smart people solving problems with technology in the real estate space. It's, I'm fascinated by uh, the thought process and the, the aha moments and all the cool stuff that, that we're going to find out about. And that's no, no different for today's podcast. I'm excited to have the co-founder and CEO of FIRST, Mike Schneider, as our guest on the podcast, so let's get right to it, Mike. Thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thanks for having me, Bill. I'm really looking forward to it.
0: Well, I met you through a, a Durham connection, Molly McKinley, and I'm sure you know Molly very well, right? She's a, I sure do a local. Oh my mayor. goodness, yes, yeah. And and I and so I, I, there's so much going on in Durham I, in the whole triangle. I want to talk to you about that in a little while, but but first, I know you're not a native of North Carolina. We chatted about this a little bit, and I believe you may have uh, the greatest distance between. Where I'm interviewing you and where you were born. <laughs> Let's get that story.
1: So uh, that's hilarious. In, in fact, I was listening to another one of your podcasts with a good friend, Billy Kofo, and I think he wins. I looked it up on Google. <laughs> I, I was born. In, I, I grew up in Vienna, Austria, which is about fifty-two hundred miles from your uh, from Tampa, and he's about sixty-eight hundred. So he he he's like twenty-five percent further. All right. Um, but yeah, I grew up. I grew up in Austria, just outside Vienna. And uh, my parents worked with refugees there from all over the world. So, uh, yeah, it was a, it was a fascinating place to grow up in kind of this melting pot of uh, people from over 100 countries uh, before I came to North Carolina for school.
0: Now, when you're there growing up, is there an English speaking school? I'm taking it, but you probably learned is a German there. I mean, how
1: does that work? Yeah, actually, I went to Austrian schools until seventh grade. Uh, and then I, and then I did go to an English speaking high school. Yeah. So it was, uh, I, I sound Viennese in German. I sound American when I speak English. So it's, uh, it's yeah, bilingual, uh, grew up kind of being, being the, uh, American family in Austria there. And then, you know, moving back here and not knowing anything about pop culture with, uh, when I was in college, it was, it's kind of one of those funny, you know, living across different cultures growing up, but really, really enjoyed it, especially getting to know people from all over the, all over the globe and, and just having, you know, all that uh, really interesting background uh, and and hearing their stories.
0: Right. And I'm sure, you know, obviously you got to share yours quite a bit. I'm sure you had lots of people asking you about, you know, what what that was like. And let's talk about the education system, right? Quite quite different in Europe. than Totally
1: different. In elementary school, we got home at between 1145 and 1230 every day. And you just have the rest of the day to just play and hang out uh, with friends around town. And, um, uh, every year, you know, my, my parents were American. And so oftentimes we, we, we'd test back over here and I tested a grade or two ahead at math and many other subjects. So it's really interesting just to have kind of the different, uh, really, you know, focused amount of time. It's just, it's very German. It's a, you know, a, a, a consolidated amount of time and, and real focus and they don't, they don't have a bunch of recess at other things. and then, and then people go off and do other things in the afternoon. It's really, really kind of a different approach. Uh, you know, to, to give you a concept of how, how different it is in fourth grade, you take a test or a series of tests that determine whether you're going to college or not. In fourth and then, grade? Wow. In fourth grade. And then based on that, you're either on the trade school route, which is which is totally valid, right? I mean, I had a friend who went the trade school route. And by the time he graduated from high school, he had been working as an apprentice for Audi as a mechanic for two years. And he got out making, you know, $65,000 uh, in euros, but you know, working for Audi, so you can go the trade route and have a great job, and they just don't know that. Don't think everybody needs to go to college. So very, very different. That's just one example, but yeah, different,
0: different, different universe. I think you're hearing more and more of that talk about of trying to bring that kind of a, a thought process to the states, but uh, that's that's for another podcast. I think <laughs> <laughs> that's, right. So, that's right. So you decide to uh, you obviously you shoot very high as you come to the United States. You you attend uh, Duke University, one of the top leading you know educational institutions in the country which uh you know is fantastic but as you know I'm I'm kind of a sports fan and I think I shared with you I've had this early fascination since the early 80s with the Duke basketball team so when I saw that you attended yes. duke I thought oh we're going to have fun I get to talk a little duke basketball but then but but you Absolutely. Know, but there's another sport that's near and dear to you so let's talk about first of all what how you chose duke and talk about your sport.
1: Yeah so it um I've just, I, I've always loved sports. And it's, it's funny how you look at different phases in your life. You know, growing up, sports was a, a big, big part of my life. Um, so I've, in Austria, you all, everyone plays soccer. But I became uh, fascinated with baseball and, and played baseball there. And again, there, everything is very focused. So uh, by the time I was in high school, I was playing in a in a men's league and traveling around Europe playing baseball with, you know, former, D uh, you know, AA, AAA players who had, you know, kind of never made it to the pros, but decided to go over to uh, to Europe and play there. kind of be player coaches and so um you know i I played growing up and then uh actually did factor into my decision in terms of college which is which is funny looking back um uh i was deciding you know this is a uh, that's funny story rewinding i was deciding between uh stanford and duke and stanford had the number one baseball team in the country at the time so i knew there was no chance i was going to get any playing time uh i had a couple different you know Coaches, you know, recruiting, so to speak. You don't, you don't get recruited very much from from Austria. You don't get seen a whole lot right. uh, that were kind of D two and D three. But uh, I, I really loved uh, loved Duke on many, many levels, and uh, decided to go there, not having an offer, uh, and then I ended up walking on. So I was one of two walk ons uh, over the three years I was there. So that was that was a lot of fun. Uh, I didn't see a whole lot of playing time, but it was just awesome to be around, uh, you know, Division one. Uh, sports team, so I really, really enjoyed that.
0: I mean, yeah, you're ACC. I mean, I mean, just, I mean, I can imagine the travel and all the different teams you got to see, and some really, you know, really great teams in that conference, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's just a, <laughs> uh, it's it's a phenomenal level of baseball, yeah. and you know, couple couple teammates in the pros now, so yeah, it's a lot of fun.
0: That's cool. I'm I'm just gonna guess you're you know all about you were part of Camp K, you attended. you were, you were Cameron Crazy. Tell me you were you were involved in all that.
1: Oh my goodness. So I yes, we were tent number six. A lot of people, you know, just see Cameron Crazies <laughs> on TV. What they don't realize is that the first tent in in Keville usually goes up the day after Christmas. So before people are even back on campus. Um and so yeah, I can I camped out for two and a half months. You know, you've got this dorm that you're paying obscene amounts of money for, and uh you're sitting in in a in a tent, rain, snow, or shine, uh for two and a half months to get into the UNC game and we're you know on the second row. So yeah, huge Duke basketball fan. Wow. So there's You know, most people know, even non-sports
0: fans are pretty aware of the fact that UNC and Duke are eight miles apart from Chapel Hill to Durham, and it's one of the—it's got to be one of the biggest rivalries rivalries in all of sports. And every time I talk to somebody that went to Duke or 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 someone who's a Tar Heel, there's always a story. There's something that happened. I'm just (laughs) guessing. You got one you can share on the podcast?
1: Oh man! So uh, this one wasn't actually while I was there, but it's just so. It's just so fun. I, I love it. Um, one of the guys that uh, was involved at a campus group that I was I was involved with went the day before the UNC game over to UN uh, uh, at the Duke UNC game. He went onto UNC's campus uh, dressed up as a UNC fan, you know, doing doing interviews. I don't know if you saw this, this video. I think it went uh, it went fairly viral. But he started interviewing UNC students, asking about you know how uh, Grayson Allen was going to help our our team win, or you know what they thought of Brandon Ingram, and then. He used to say, you know, he hasn't been on campus for a long time, but, you know, how much do you love Christian Leitner? And oh. and it was just getting all these quotes from them about how great Christian Leitner was and how Gracie Allen was definitely going to lead the team to victory and all that. And uh, and then, you know, broadcast that out the day of the Duke UNC game. And it was it was beautiful. It was just it was just epic.
0: Uh, I have not seen that. I will find it later today and tweet it out. That's great. Um, let's let's all right so you graduate well I'll have to leave that I could I could talk to you for hours about duke and and the whole thing but let's let's move on you you graduate from duke uh, and you you actually you focused early in your career right afterwards on social entrepreneurship I love that I love the name explain that concept to well to me and our listeners
1: Yeah so a big part of this comes back to my story of uh you know growing up around people who and uh, you know, had come out of really tough situations all over the world so Iraq, Iran, Afghanistan, Somalia, anywhere there's kind of wars, people are trying to get to the West. And Austria is one of the most open countries to refugees. So uh, they kind of come into Austria. And so I, I became fascinated with with people that were coming out of tough situations and what, what were the the social uh, challenges that they were facing. And, and so when I got to Duke, uh, I, I knew I wanted to study business because that's always been a passion of mine. I've always been starting things. But I became fascinated by the fact that you can take Uh, business principles and apply those to big social issues. And it's really about the same types of things you're looking for in business, which is how do you create a win, win, win for all parties? Uh, And how do you do that in a way where incentives align to where it actually, uh, it changes how things, how things are done. And so, uh, yeah, it's things like how do we solve big problems like, um, you know, lack of access to clean water in the developing world, or, um, you know, how do we, how do we address kind of racial inequity and different things like this that are, that are huge uh, huge issues. So, I, I, in addition to my business degree, I studied public policy at Duke, and and that was uh, you know this fun mix of of aligning these incentives and figuring out what are what are all the impacts of policy. I knew I knew from the beginning I did not want to go into politics, uh, but I think that it was it was great kind of shaping in terms of how do you break things down in term in, down to the first principles of what what are actually people's motivations and who is this impacting and how do we align those to create something that that has value and and changes the way things work
0: you you didn't leave the durham area when you graduated from duke right your first companies you worked for were right there in durham
1: that's right yeah, yeah. i jumped into a company called bam.com and then helped start um, uh, a nonprofit that was working on you know back to the social entrepreneurship it was wor- working on how do we measure the the some of these very tough to measure intangible changes we're trying to drive and, and understand what in uh, what efforts and what organizations are actually having an impact so i worked on that worked with some foundations across uh across the globe, like Ford Foundation others in terms of some of the international work as well. Um, and, then, uh, and then jumped into uh, starting a venture capital fund after that.
0: So you now call Durham home. Uh, it's where you've been now since you've graduated. And I had the opportunity, my, my son was actually uh, in Durham for about six months, a couple of years ago, and an unbelievable downtown area. And I'm sure that Raleigh and Chapel, they all have kind of the same thing. Talk about just what's happening there in the triangle in the startup world.
1: Yeah, it's been really exciting. You know, when when I first came here um, uh, as a freshman at Duke, uh, much of Main Street was boarded up, and now it is this thriving ecosystem. There's over 300 uh, tech startups uh, just in Durham, um, and uh, a lot of big companies moving in. High rises going up, and uh, a lot. Of, it's just it's just it's come alive. the The appreciation on real estate has been unbelievable. You know, all the way through the through the recession, it not only stayed flat, but it kept going up. So if that tells you anything in terms of how uh, how vibrant this area has become, it's been it's just been really fun to see. And uh, Durham has this kind of unique quirky uh, aspect to it, where we had we were named the you know foodiest small town in the country because every everywhere you turn there's two or three new kind of uh, you know, independent restaurants going up, and so it, it's a it's a really unique unique spot. We've got the Durham Performing Arts Center, which was named the number one uh, Broadway venue outside of New York last year. So I think there's a there's a lot of kind of arts and and food and culture that's, that's coming together in Durham. So it's becoming a really interesting place to grow a, a tech company. Uh, our office, our first office was in a Google sponsored tech hub here in Durham. There's, there's six of those across the country. Um, and, uh, you know, we're starting to recruit more and more people from San Francisco and New York and other places who have, you know, uh, been successful in their careers and now want to get back to kind of a, a Southeast uh, lifestyle, but still work at high growth, exciting tech companies. So I I think the next five years are going to be even faster growth than the last five.
0: And aren't you right across the street from uh, the Durham Bulls Stadium? We
1: sure are. (laughs) Another national championship last year. I mean, it's unbelievable. That's one of the best AAA ballparks. So yeah, we try to get over there really as much as possible.
0: Yeah, I got got a chance to attend a game there and and really enjoyed the experience. Yeah, it's very cool.
1: I'll tell you, you, it does make me miss being on a baseball diamond. And every now and then I go, how many hours did I spend on a baseball diamond? That's on, almost unbelievable if you start doing that math. right. So anyway, yeah. Well,
0: let's, let's move forward to what you're doing now. This, this is really exciting. I've had a chance to, to look closely at, uh, at what, what your new company first is doing. Um, you're the co-founder and CEO of first. And I guess really my first question is just how was first born?
1: Yeah, that's a well, good one. Unintended. Um, you know, uh, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And where'd the name come from? I joke with my co-founder that it was just the first name we, we could think of. <laughs> Very good. Um, you, know, uh, you know, first was born, I, I've always had a passion for real estate. So uh, one of the other parts of, of my story is, uh, you know, uh, going to Duke, I actually had to you know pay my way through Duke. Uh, my, my parents working as, you know, uh, counselors and other things, uh, overseas didn't have a whole lot to contribute to that. And so, uh, I actually started businesses while I was in undergrad, uh, to pay my way through And I, uh, part of that was also, also in real estate. And so I've, I've always, uh, I've always loved the asset class of, of, you know, of Something, there's something amazing about the physical aspect of of a building. It's so different than investing in stocks and, and uh, pieces of that. And through all of that, I got to know a lot of real estate agents who became really close friends. And and you know, as I was building businesses and and working on some of the operations, I was always curious, you know, how they were running their business. Um, and working at the investment fund that I was uh, that I was at, you know, started getting at you know pulled into a lot of the kind of cutting edge of, of technology. And one of the investments we made that, that did very, very well um, was a platform that Microsoft and Amazon and others were sending work over to to train their algorithms. So that was my my introduction into the data science and uh, and artificial intelligence world. And I just became fascinated by the fact that the next wave of artificial intelligence, you know, the, the first wave, you know, you have you have you hear about AI bots, you know, beating chess masters and then people at Go and all these things that are kind of frivolous, interesting but but not really, you know, life altering. Uh, I think the next wave of AI, if you kind of read everybody who's on the on the forefront of that, is actually going to be reworking, you know, how we work and the workflows and and different industries. And for me, that's a really exciting opportunity. Not to, you know, so many people use the word disrupt as if we're going to just cut out huge swaths of of of, uh, of the workforce. I think that this is going to be a new. Industrial Revolution of productivity as we bring really powerful um, different types of of artificial intelligence alongside key roles to where you know we're going to unlock all kinds of new jobs and new levels of productivity that are going to be great for for those uh, for those industries. So to put it you know in 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 kind of the buzzwordy language of of venture capital, what we've been building for the last you know two and a half years and from day one was a vertically targeted solution that's built from the data and the, and the intelligence up to really help uh, increase how productive agents are in generating business. So my, my co-founder and I, before we started the company, sat down with not just the 20 or 30 realtors. We knew we sat down with over 100. And we just we just walked through, you know, tell us about your business. We just listened. What are all the areas of your business uh, that work, that don't? Um, and we, we really wanted to be solving a number one pain point. And what we heard from over 90 of those 100 was two things. I don't know where all, where my deals are coming from. I.e., I don't know if I'm going to do two deals next month, or four deals, or one deal. Um, and uh, and you know, leads have increasingly become frustrating, uh, and it and it's hard. It's uh, you know, the quality is going down, and costs are going up, and uh, and so you know, I'm kind of at the 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 I'm, I have to go run my business day to day, and then somehow I have to find time to grow my business. And so we really honed in on that one. That one piece of uh, we can actually make people three or four times more productive at winning business uh, with some of the technology that uh, that we had already been prototyping, uh, and so that's that's our our core focus is just to help agents be more productive at winning business uh, faster and in, and through relationship which we think is one of the the crown jewels of real estate.
0: Let's talk about that then in a, in a more specific way you you know there are so many tools for realtors out there in fact. You know, there, there's this fatigue that occurs, right, with realtors because yes. there's so many shiny objects. And and,
1: and you, know, you get called five times a week from different ones to, you know, to jump on a demo or sign up or try it out.
0: In addition to the 100 emails per week. Oh, <laughs> my gosh. <laughs> yes. In, so you know yes. about that. So you're, you know, the, let's let's talk deeply then about what FIRST does. I'm really excited about what you're doing because I've become i' just I'm a huge fan of conversations list, having conversations with people is everything to anyone in the real estate space i don't care what side of the space you're in, yes. but it's all about conversations so how can you get more conversations and that's what you're doing right with first is that is that a fair assessment
1: it is in fact that's the that's the name of the app we just launched we're moving everything into a mobile work but um you know I think that the you you nailed it in terms of conversations. It's it's kind of an interesting story of how we got down to conversations because for us that was a learning process. You, you know you've been in this space for a long time, and and you you know it. Uh, but we actually came at it. We literally came at it from a data driven perspective. And and if you talked to me a little over a year ago, you know we were starting down this path of integrating with, contextually and a bunch of other CRMs to start driving more efficient marketing, because you know we know thousands of thing factors about. Two hundred fourteen million individuals and one hundred twenty million households. So just about every uh, you know man, man and woman, and uh, and home across the U.S. And so we we realized wow we you know we can help agents drive more efficient marketing. That you know you, you want to send something different to a fifty-five year old downsizer than you know a, a new home seller, and and we can help drive all of that. What was an astounding learning for me was as we started integrating those things and looking at the the correlation between that marketing and and connections. Uh, and and sold deals, closed deals. Uh, it was it was just it was unbelievable how if you if you weren't making personal touch points and having conversations, uh, all that marketing really didn't move the needle. Um, and and I'm not saying that stay in touch in general, broad broad awareness marketing doesn't have its place. It's just very clear that that um, that in and of itself, without any type of conversation, does not convert people. So, you know, over 80% of people say they'd use the same agent they bought their house with and less than 20% do. Um, and what we found is over 80% of the deals that are that are t- now hundreds and hundreds of top agents on our platform are winning are coming through conversations. So our whole platform is built not around you blasting more people with, with more messaging, but how do we optimize your time as an agent? Who should you be having a conversation with next that's either going to lead to a referral or a listing? Um, and so, you know, I, a, a quick anecdote on how that actually works, and this was part of, part of my learning in this process. Uh, I sat down with one of our agents um, nine or 10 months ago who had just signed up on the platform a little over a month uh, before that. I said, uh, Adrian, how's it, go- how's it going? And he said, well, I'm trying to figure out what, what emails I should send and how I should communicate to these people, right? That's kind of the biggest question of I now know these people are thinking about selling because first identified that. Uh, but what do I say? How do I connect? So what, what would you normally do? I said, well, normally I just connect relationally. I'd go get coffee, and so we we took the twenty-five top people, and he he ended up scheduling uh, eighteen coffee meetings with uh, eighteen of those twenty-five, and five of them ended up selling with him. And, and it wasn't because he was saying the right things or pushing some kind of marketing. Uh, he was just connecting with them re- relationally at the right time. And it's kind of this this you know serendipitous meeting at just the right time to be in conversation when someone starts thinking about uh, whether they should upfit or sell. If, if you were
0: to ask 100 realtors, has a deal ever just kind of fallen in your lap because you, you, you were at the right place at the right time? All 100 would agree with you. So, right. so they know this experience. You're just saying, we can help you create more of these.
1: That's it. That's right. Yeah. That's but, exactly right. And The other part of that is, uh, if, if I turn around to the seller or the consumer and I think about the realtors that I know, you know, there's really no email message that another realtor or a postcard that another realtor could send me that would, that would break the relationship I have with those two. Right. But if another realtor starts, you know, spending time with my wife and helping her think through as we're looking at schools and all these other things, that realtor could actually win our business. Does that make sense? Yep. So, you know, it's like, unless you're building relationships, you know, and the, so the problem becomes for top realtors, I can't do that across 500 past clients and thousands of people I, I have connections with. And that's exactly right. But if we can make you four times as productive in the, in the time you do have in having conversations, uh, we think that's, that's not only the best way to run your business. Uh, we actually think that's, that's reinforcing your core asset as an agent, which is your relationships. So don't let anyone else you know get into your moat of those relationships and, and build that relationship with my wife and talking to her about schools when you could be having that conversation because you know we're thinking about selling. As, as I've said before, I love this philosophy.
0: And it's, it's how I talk to realtors when I talk to them in my role with Fidelity. But there is definitely there are people out there who would look at what you're doing and say that's ridiculous. That's just not going to work <laughs> long term. They're very you know you're very contrarian when it comes to a lot of these other um yep. CRM providers lead generation tools. How do you respond to that?
1: Yeah, you know I I think that uh, there's nothing there's nothing wrong with leads. I just go back to the data. It's very clear uh that less than 20 percent of the of the industry transactions start as leads and so this is how the industry works and i I just challenge realtors to look at their business last year and how many of those came through leads versus their network um and the problem has been that there really hasn't been technology that understands how to help you with the relationship side right it's just kind of more of the stay in touch marketing which as we just discussed doesn't really move the needle so i think i think you there just hasn't been a way to invest in and get in winning more particularly listings on that side you know we in Internally, one of our one of our marketers always jokes that leads don't list because when you look at number of listings that come from you know from online leads, it's just very very few. So I think we do have a bit of a contrarian view. I think the other part of this is that you know as people invest more in the competing on marketing and lead gen, uh, I think that I think it's going to become much harder for realtors to compete on that because you've got Redfin and Open Door and lots of others are going to start spending hundreds of millions of dollars uh, in each of these markets um trying to, and they are built using the same types of models that we are. In fact, some of them have asked us to use ours and we say, no, we're, we're actually helping realtors, um, <laughs> not necessarily the disruptors, uh, but they're going to be using a lot of the same tools, right? To, to get ahead of with, with marketing and messaging, and they have a differentiated offer. So if you think about open doors marketing versus you as a realtor to a cold outbound lead, you know, you, you you're, it's going to be a lot harder to compete on that level. I think that um, that the, the flip of that is that, other industries are starting to realize that relationship actually is important. It's a competitive advantage. I think real estate's known that for thirty years, and uh, it would be a shame to lose that in trying to compete on on marketing that we're ultimately going to lose to some of these larger players. Um, I think that there's a there's incredible value to the the agent who has incredible local knowledge, um, and and that you know we're ultimately as a consumer you're looking for a trusted advisor, and so a relationship is really a feature of this industry. It's not it's not a bug. So I, I think that. Uh, I think that as an industry, we need to double down on the relational side um, and worry a lot less about the leads.
0: I'll be using that quote all over the place. You don't mind, do you? No, of course not. <laughs> <laughs> listen, I, I, one question that really, you know, we'll get geeky for a second. I've got some people to listen to. the yeah. podcast that are super geeky. I like I know that Facebook and Google know everything about me. They, they know yes. my net worth. They know the cars I like, the food I eat. They know everything. And yep. I get it because they're this they're these massive billion dollar operations and they have access to all the social data, public data, they merge it all, they buy other sources. I get it for them. Yep. How does a startup tap into that same kind of data? Because you've got to have the same sort of information to an extent, right?
1: Yeah, no, you you nailed it. Uh, and that's part of the reason that we, you know, are a venture-backed startup. We have about three and a half million dollars of data flowing through our system. I actually met with the uh with the group that leads Facebook's uh, ad targeting. Have you ever done like a a targeted ad on Facebook where you're picking and building an audience?
0: Um, uh, Here's the sad news, Mike realtors insist I teach them how to do that. So
1: there you go. So you, you walk everyone through it. So when you pick eight groups and price rate, all that Mm -hmm. that's feeding from two of the same data providers that we use. So I met with their team and I was like, Hey, let's, let's compare notes on what you guys are using. And we're using the exact same two large broad based data providers that Facebook does. So all that data actually is, you know, stuff that they're buying the same way that we do. Now they have a ton of data about your relationships. And I don't even want to think about how much they know about us from our pictures, et cetera. Right. Um, but you know, it, the, we're in an interesting world where a lot of this data is available. And I think in, in real estate, from a geeky perspective, we have some of the most interesting, uh, data science opportunities because the end goal is to win a, you know, a transaction, which is publicly available right? So the fact that we know the result, uh, and so one of the things that's fun for us is, you know, we can take your, you know, we can take Bill or you can take your Gmail and sync that and look at everyone, you know, we we have some amazing technology on the back end that's matching those people to property, all that stuff. So we can look at the, look at how many people transacted and and whether or not you won those deals, right? And so our models are, we're building models, not just about when people are going to move, but what does your relationship with them look like from, you know, from all of your communication and, And what types of things and what types of connections now, as we look at that across thousands of agents and hundreds of thousands of people over years, uh, what actually does lead to transactions? So, you know, the the fun part for me is three or four years from now, when a new agent signs up on first, the entire platform will be uh, will have been trained by thousands of top agents. uh, And you'll be able to take advantage. You'll be able to get the the improvement in your, you know, in, in return on your follow up from all of that being trained. So I, I think that's the fun, geeky new wave of software is that it's actually going to learn and get better with every user, which is crazy. And others will call it scary. I'm sure you've heard that many times when you when Yeah, well, here's what I like about it though, is we're building this for real estate agents. And so if you think about the stranglehold that Zillow has, you know, most of the agents I sit down, and and you know i again they're providing a huge value it's it, it's been hard to grow your business without you know spending on leads so there's a huge value there i don't ever want to hear people me just bad-mouthing other companies i think i'm very i love uh what they've built but at the end of the day you're paying you know 20 30 sometimes even 50% of your commission if you do the the math on how much you're you're paying for that that business mm-hmm. and uh and and you have to keep paying that every year it just goes away so i i'm i'm really excited about the fact that this platform gets better and better with every agent and it's also reinforcing your the asset of your network right that they can continually produce and those investments in relationship it's like it's like compounding interest um, because the more you invest there the more you know that returns in, in referrals and actual conversion on people are selling in your in your network so I I, I think it's um, I think it'll be fun to think to see this as you know potentially driving the most transactions across the industry in five or six years as we as we start to scale it up and it, and that's something that, that realtors have in their, you know, in their control, as opposed to having to pay for every lead. Right.
0: Realtors don't, aren't the best at kind of preparing for retirement, but boy, if you really had a total, complete grasp of how your database and your, your mets or whatever you want to call it is working and, and you've got a system in place that has incredible value for somebody who would like to maybe even annuitize it right for you. So you could retire and have income coming in. I mean, it's really, it's, it's absolutely it works out perfectly.
1: Absolutely. I, I also love it. Yeah, you know, there's all kinds of fun things you can do yeah. with that. Where you know, someone who's thinking about getting into real estate, like we we had we've had some very successful people on the platform that came in from another industry. Maybe they were a lawyer or others, but they had a great network. Mm-hmm. And what's fun is we can kind of sync their network and say, hey, you know, you've got you've got seven hundred fifty thousand dollars of GCI in here. You know, you know, if we can focus you on the right people, you know, it's just a matter of how much of that can you win. Um, so that that's another way, a fun way to look at you know, being able to kind of see the value in your network from a from a you know real data perspective.
0: You you do a lot of presentations on the topic. I think you, you mentioned you're going to be at Inman Connect in New York for the Hacker Connect event, correct? Yep, yep, that's right. Give me what's what is the uh, what's what's the question you you're most often asked when you're presenting on this and talking about your you know sphere based predictive analytics?
1: I, I talked about this on on stage last Inman, but I, I'm really looking forward to when when we stop selling predictive analytics. <laughs> you know, I think that that uh, it's it's a tool, I, and I, my my analogy there is that you know, how many microchips did you buy last month? Yep. You know, you just, we don't think about microchips. We don't think about the power of microchips, but we used to. It used to be that everybody's competing on how powerful, you know, the chip in this computer or that computer is. Now you just buy a phone and you buy a computer and you just assume that it's there and it works. Um, And so I I really think that we've got to get beyond trying to buy something that everybody can slap on their website, whether or not it has any any value. Um, And so I think that, you know, what, what we're maniacally focused on is helping agents see uh, that they are consistently winning more business from the people they know and that the system is getting better at, at connecting them with people who are going to be selling six to nine months before their competition. And that's it. That's what you're buying. You're not buying PredictMailX. You're buying a tool that helps you win more listings and referrals by having conversations. And I think that's that's what I, I'm, I'm excited about. In terms of your your specific question on what what do we get asked about sphere-based, I think there's two things. One is people are often concerned that their sphere is too small. Um, and, I, and I think that the reason for that is uh, the best practice so far has been, you know, pick, you know, whittle it down to a hundred people who are going to refer you business. And so you do want to have a small group, right? Because it's all about their relationships and what they're referring in. Well, you know, now we can go look back at all the people your kids go to school with and all that, that you have some level of relationship with. And if you now know that they're thinking about selling six, nine months from now uh, it's, it's worth reaching out and building that relationship. So I think that's kind of what has changed a little bit here is, you know, don't worry too much just about that sphere. We we definitely want to maintain that, help you continue winning those referrals. But now it's about strategically building the right relationship with people at the right time. And then and then the other one is what I mentioned earlier is, is what do I say? What do I say? These people are likely to sell, and people have never had that opportunity to speak to someone that they they know is gonna sell, maybe as that person is just starting to think about it. Um, and I think that my main, my main point there is that. Uh, you need to just connect relationally first. You know that's how this business is won, right? Is by by building trust, uh, you, you and showing them that you're competent. But it's not about coming in and saying, "Hey, are you thinking about selling your house? Love to help you." I think that's the best way to destroy a relationship.
0: Mike, I've had you here well over the thirty minutes, and you are busy. So I'm going <laughs> to wrap up with my the same question I've asked every guest. Now you've never been a realtor, but you've been an investor, and you understand the business a lot more and because of what you've done over the last few years. But so the question is this, if you could give one piece of advice to an agent just getting started in the business, what would it be?
1: Oh, I love that question. That's awesome. So uh, uh, we work with, you know, two, 300 top performing agents around the country. Um, and what I have learned is that there is so much about this business that that isn't about tips and tricks. It isn't about just systems and processes and and leads. It's It's really about how to manage your day and your relationships and those are those are incredible kind of systems that you could learn from working with one of those. So I'd say if you're starting off, go find a top performing agent and just work alongside them for two years. And and that's what I did. Uh, I worked alongside the CEO of bandwidth.com for actually for six years. Um, And I think you know if I'm a good CEO, it's because of what I learned over six years. And I think that you know these uh, these top performers have they've got incredible street smarts and they've built really impressive businesses. And I think there's nothing to accelerate your business uh, like going and, and sitting alongside them and working alongside them for two or three years.
0: Mike, if somebody wants to reach out to you or get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that?
1: Yeah, I, I love giving people my email. Ping me. Uh, it's just mike at first dot io.
0: Thank you so much for sharing this information. I, I guarantee you. Um, you're going to get some. You're going to get some love from this episode. There are a lot of people who are struggling with. They, they almost feel like they're being, they're doing the wrong thing because they're not following these lead gen gurus. And so I really appreciate yeah. you carrying a different message, uh, one that you know, other people hold as well. That says, hey, you've got this incredible opportunity. Let's just do it um, a little, a little smarter.
1: Yeah, I'm. I really appreciate you making time. I love that you're having conversations and just getting to know people. I love that this industry runs on relationships and we want to, we want to make sure that that is still driving 80 to, and hopefully maybe even 90% of this industry five years from now. So that's, that's the mission we're on.
0: Awesome. Go Duke.
1: Go Duke. See <laughs> ya. Yeah.